This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherise Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. In an extremely moving article in the Jewish Report, journalist and author Jonathan Anser wrote about his and his family's journey and describing that his daughter Rachel had been diagnosed with an extremely rare bone marrow disease. The following years would prove stressful in the extreme. His little girl is now 11 and healthy. Jonathan joins me to share the story of his, how his family got through this. Jonathan, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Cerise. Jonathan, you wrote an article in the Jewish Report, I think it was around about January, and it was so heartfelt and poignant. And I just thought perhaps you could share your story with us now. Absolutely. Um, so, so what, what happened is, uh, you know, we, we have this daughter, Rachel, and um, when she was five, we discovered through a series of, you know, we were a little bit worried about her. She, she was looking quite pale um, and she was lethargic and we took her to the doctor and the doctor said, well, you know, it looks like she's got, um, she's anemic. And, um, and so I thought, well, it's not, you know, you hear about people who've got anemia, they get tablets for iron. Um, and I thought, okay, it's not too bad, but he sent us f- for tests and, and, it, and, uh, um, and, um, the tests revealed that her, uh, that her levels, so her blood levels were very, very low. And so we were referred quite Quickly, I think they, they saw very quickly that, that this was serious, and they referred us to the Red Cross Children's Hospital, which is in Cape Town, and it's you know it's, it's a very very specialised um, hospital that, that, that treats um, children who are, who are sick, and um, we were referred to the the oncology hematology unit, which is a specialised unit within this, this hospital, and they and and we were placed in their care. Tests after tests, they started conducting, and they eventually uh, uh, revealed that she had this very, very rare bone marrow disease called pure red cell aplasia. And at that time, I, you know, the doctor who was this remarkable man called Dr. Hendricks, uh, we, we were actually, you know, we were in a team of doctors, but he was our primary doctor. And he, <laughs> he said, I made the mistake of going on to Google and looking up pure red cell aplasia, which was a terrible thing to do. And when I, you know, he banned me from Google. But um, all that it meant is that, is that her her she her body had gone on strike, her bone marrow had gone on strike, and she wasn't making red blood cells. And so the only way to treat it was to to um, for her to get transfusions, red blood cell transfusions. And so initially it was, um, you know, once a month she was getting a, a transfusion. And, um, but the, the, the intervals between the transfusions were starting to become shorter and shorter. And, um, so, she, uh, you know, they, they were conducting tests. They were looking at, at what was going on. They were speaking to doctors all over the world in Atlanta, in Boston, um, in, in London. Um, and we, we found our family, we found a little, um, Facebook group. I think it had, at that time it had 14 members. It was uh, started by an American with this, this condition. And Rachel was the only child that had this condition. So, um, it really was a, a very rare disease of a very rare disease. And, um, uh, so what would happen is, is when her blood levels dropped to very, very low levels, she she she, be, she just 
kind of became a, 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 a sort of a, a, a should crumble into this heap. She she couldn't do anything. She could hardly, you know, exist. She was just um, the, 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 she had no energy. Um, she, she was pale. She, she was translucent. That's how pale she was. Her heart would beat because it was trying to get um, blood through, you know, uh, through the body. Um, and she was this little girl who just was kind of not, was living half a life, you know, she, and as soon as she would get a transfusion, she, she would, it would be like, it would be like a, a, a light flipped and, um, she would be fine again. Her, her, her cheeks would become rosy. Um, she would have energy. She would cycle and do the monkey bars and do all the things that she loved. But, um, those, as I said, the intervals between those transfusions were getting smaller and smaller. And eventually she was having, um, you know, one a week, uh, one every few days. And it's, it's a long process. It's, it's, you know, you arrive at the hospital, uh, they, they test her blood. The, the, you know, they can't give her a transfusion until they've tested her levels and you wait in queues. Um, then, then they call for the blood and you, you, and they do a cross match and the whole, and then the actual transfusion can take up to about, you know, five, six hours. Um, so it was really a whole day that spent at, at the hospital for her getting a transfusion. And eventually they said to us, you know, she can't, she's become transfusion dependent and she can't, have you know this can't be the way to treat her um first of all there's a buildup of iron in the blood um and and that can cause serious problems so th- so th- they started to look for a, a bone marrow uh, donor a, a, a match for her and um you know initially they brought us the list of of potential matches and there it was a very promising list um but as they started investigating more and more, all the people on the list started to mismatch and eventually they had nobody on, 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 on the list. And they hadn't told us that, um, the, this is when the bone, it was the bone marrow registry that was looking for a donor and they were starting to run out of hope. And miraculously, you know, at the very last minute, somebody joined the registry in, in, in Poland, uh, she joined the German registry, which is a very, very good registry. Um, I think Germany, Israel and America have excellent, you know, numbers of, of people who are registered on, on their registries. And, um, she, this person turned out to be a 10 out of 10 match. And in March 2007, Rachel had a life-changing bone marrow transplant. She was in um, isolation for six weeks before um, uh, in, in the hospital. Uh, she had chemotherapy to destroy her existing bone marrow, and because she had no, you know, uh, bone marrow at all, um, wasn't producing any white cells or red cells or or, or um, platelets. Um, she she was at risk of infection. So she was, she was in the ward, the, the, the transplant ward at Hoteskir Hospital, and it was a very sterile environment. So it, it was kind of being like in lock, in, in quarantine. Um, and then after that, um, what had happened is, is, is her bone marrow still wasn't quite working and, and she, 
you know, she was discharged from Khutuskia but kept going back to the Red Cross and admitted as, as a patient there for weeks at a time. And eventually, when they had said to us, they, they said to us, listen, we don't think the transplant has worked and we th- we're going to have to redo it. And they gave us a date for the new transplant. And very slowly, her new bone marrow started to kick in and uh, her levels just kind of rose and rose and rose. And um, in March 2017, that uh, 2020 was her third rebirth day. And I took her to the, you know, she, she goes quite regularly, or she had been going very regularly for for tests. And in March 2020, um, I took her again for her uh, 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 to, for a test. And her doctor, Dr. Hendricks, looked at her and said, you know, I can see the, her pink cheeks. We don't need to to give her a blood test today. And it was the first time in about five, six years that she hadn't gone for a doctor's appointment or a hospital checkup where she hadn't had a, a blood test. And it just felt like such a remarkable milestone. Jonathan, you talk about it in medical terms, but the emotional turmoil on you, your daughter, your wife and her siblings must have been incredible. Yeah, I, th- I think it's easy to hide behind the medical terms because it was such an emotional train wreck of, 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 of an experience. I mean, uh, you know, the first time, and I, I get quite emotional even thinking about it, but, you know, when I, when I did look, when I did go into Google and I looked at, at, at the expectancy, the life expectancy of a child, that whose bone marrow isn't working, somebody, you know, with a, um, a pure red cell aplasia, it was 10 years. And, I mean, Rachel was five or six at the time, and I, and I, I mean, I immediately vomited. I, I, I you know, I, how, how, how do you sort of you suddenly, you know, your whole life is okay, and then you get delivered this blow and and and, and not knowing what's going to happen and, so it really was a, a, a kind of emotional time and, and we just directed all our energy at her. It was, you know, we had to still carry on working and still look after our other children, but we were in the hospital, you know, all the time going to clinics, um, you know, every, and watching her. And I think that was also something is that we were always watching to see what happens to her, always being fixated on the numbers when we get the blood test. And I, I had this, you know, chart in my head where I was looking, you know, last week her, her blood um, her hemoglobin level was 7.2 and this week it's 6.8 and, you know, being fixated and watching her with every, you know, trying to feel a heartbeat without, you know, because she was in danger of going into heart failure if her heart was, you know, if her blood levels dropped too low and trying to judge, well, do we rush her off to the hospital now, you know, it, it, it really, and, and just not knowing what to expect and what the outcome is and, and everything we thought, you know, we, when we were getting results when they were still trying to diagnose her and we were getting results of the, the bone marrow biopsies that they were doing and not, you know, thinking, oh, that's a good thing, that's a good thing, but it wasn't or, you know, so all these different things, which, which was just an emotional roller coaster, but, <laughs> It took a long time for us to kind of get a high. We were going, you know, it was, it was lots of lows, lots of lows. And, um, but amazingly, the, the highs were the support that we received from the community, from our friends, from our family. 
and also the, the sort of amazing goodwill of the medical community that the doctor Mark Hendricks, the best doctor that could have been at our side, who walked with us every every step of the way, and uh, the bone marrow registry. Who, I mean, the uh, Terry um, at the bone marrow registry, kind of like holding out my hand literally when she was telling us about, you know, the steps that they would take to find a donor and then the donor. So there, there, there were lots of little miracles along the way and it ended up in, with a massive miracle. Would you have any advice to parents going through anything similar? Yeah, I mean, my wife and I handled it very differently. Um, I, I kind of went into a sort of, in a way, a, a state of denial. I didn't want to engage with the other families who, you know, cause we were in this very, this unit with lots of sick children and a lot of the children died while we were there and I just couldn't cope with that. And, um, she, Jean, did engage with them and she did get involved and she did go to the support meetings. And I think that was probably much healthier, um, you know, to, to, to kind of seek out that support. Um, I, I was just focused on, on, on Rachel and that was sort of my, you know, how I managed to get through it was just to, to see, you know, where Rachel was and how she was doing. But I, I think advice, you know, is speaking to people, um, yeah, I, I, I th- it was quite interesting because a lot of people that I thought would um, be there for us, I, I think they didn't know how to cope. Um, so it is trying to find people that, you know, sort of have gone through similar experiences and and are able to empathize and understand and just be there. You know, that, like one of the things that that, that that was very difficult for us is that we, for initially we felt very isolated um and it would have just been good to have people you know being there with us i think people just didn't quite know what to to do it was such an extreme experience and i think as we opened up and as people learned about the story it became much easier and and we 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 decided from the beginning you know initially it was we we wanted to encourage people to join the bone marrow registry and it's something that i'd love people to consider doing um because it's it, it you know this woman in poland um has turned out to to be a lifesaver literally has been the difference between Rachel living and Rachel and I don't you know I don't know what would have happened if if she hadn't joined the register in in on that day um so you know it's such a kind of seems like such a small act of becoming a a, a donor but actually the the the, the consequences are massive and today as you say Rachel is healthy she's kind of would be back at school if school was was open but um she's going to school uh, um you know every second day or two or three times a week um she's healthy she's robust she's resilient she's uh you know naughty she does what you know <laughs> what normal children do she's healthy Jonathan, on that incredibly beautiful note, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. That was Jonathan Anford just recalling his journey with his daughter, Rachel, who was diagnosed with a rare bone marrow disease.